An anonymous but wise person once wrote, Life doesn't come with a manual, it comes with a mother. This coming weekend marks the second Sunday in May, and in the U.S., that means Mother's Day. It's a day we traditionally set aside to honor Mom, to thank her for all she's done for us, and maybe even bring her breakfast in bed. But Mother's Day did not start out as a reason to lavish Mom with chocolates or a spa day. The history of Mother's Day is not what you might expect. In the U.S., it originated with three radical women. One of them inspired the occasion, one of them used it as a rallying cry, and one of them, after working for years to get it officially recognized, then spent many more years trying to get it abolished. Hi there, and welcome to Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. I'm your host, Jan M. Flynn, and since I'm a confirmed overthinker myself, every week I offer you a brief break from those noisy voices in your head by listening to the ones in mine. And this week, with the holiday almost upon us, I figure it's a good time to consider the real story behind Mother's Day. The original Mother's Day had nothing to do with brunch. It was about saving lives, ending war, and giving women a voice. Whether the story of Mother's Day has a happy ending or not, that's for you to decide. Or maybe for your mom to decide. The origins of Mother's Day in America begin with Anne Reeves Jarvis. Born in 1832, she was the mother of 12 children, or 13, depending on some sources. But the records agree that of all those babies she brought into the world, only four survived to adulthood. Losing multiple children to disease was not uncommon at the time. Jarvis, rather than mutely accepting the devastation, turned her grief into action. She recruited other women and formed a system of Mother's Day work clubs in West Virginia. Their mission was to combat the unhealthful living conditions that caused crowd diseases to spread and that killed so many infants. With the support of local physicians, her clubs raised money for the poor and sought to provide clean drinking water and safe sewage disposal. Tuberculosis was rampant, a leading cause of early death in Jarvis's day, and the Mother's Day work clubs also raised money to aid families afflicted by the disease. And when the Civil War broke out, Anne Reeves Jarvis did not let it stop her. West Virginia was deeply divided by the war, but Jarvis was determined that her work clubs would remain neutral. The women who worked with her nursed wounded and ailing soldiers, whether they fought for the Union or the Confederacy. When the war ended, Jarvis maintained her commitment to solidarity and to healing. She organized a bold event, Mother's Friendship Day, in West Virginia, bringing together veterans from both sides of the conflict. The day reportedly began tensely. The memories and the wounds of war were still very fresh on both sides, but it ended with former foes shaking hands and weeping together. And the Civil War had a profound effect on another activist woman. Julia Ward Howe is best known for writing the lyrics to the Battle Hymn of the Republic. It quickly became the Union anthem, essentially replacing the rather grisly song set to the same melody, John Brown's Body Lies a Moldering in the Grave. Julia Ward Howe's other poetry is now largely ignored or forgotten, but the Battle Hymn, her one big hit, is still popular today. The editor of the Atlantic Monthly paid her five dollars for it. Howe and her husband were both staunch reformers and abolitionists, but by the end of the war, 
she'd become passionately committed to pacifism. There's a lot of written evidence that she was just as passionately sick of her husband, who for all his progressive politics was an overbearing, patriarchal bully. Julie wrote about the unhappiness in her stifling marriage in her diary and letters. Her husband, 18 years her senior, sought to control every aspect of her life, including the money she'd inherited, which he thoroughly mismanaged, to the point that she was left in financial distress when he died. Pushing back against his rigid beliefs that a wife's duty was entirely to her husband and children, all of whom, reportedly, nagged her and sought to control every choice she made, including what she ate, Julia Ward Howe became a leading advocate of women's rights. She and her husband separated at one point, and she even considered divorce more than once, which would have been an extraordinary move for any woman at the time. But leaving the marriage would have meant losing her children, which was the accepted and legal practice at the time. So she stayed, but the first thing she wrote in her diary after her husband's death in 1876 was, New life begins today. Long before her husband's death, Howe was already well-known as a writer, teacher, and activist. She saw, as did others, a connection between the struggle for equality for black people and for women. By 1868, she'd become a leader in the women's suffrage movement, and by that time, she was sufficiently famous that her husband couldn't very well stop her. Julia Ward Howe saw Mother's Day as an anti-war action. Howe, still seared by her experience of the Civil War, was aghast at the outbreak of yet more carnage when the Franco-Prussian War started in 1870. She decided it was time for women to resist in earnest. That year, Howe published, quote, an appeal to womanhood throughout the world. Later, it was known as the Mother's Day Proclamation, a passionate urging to all women to rise up and oppose warfare in any form. Like Anne Reeves Jarvis, Howe saw that mothers everywhere should be united in their love for their children and should not mutely accept sending their sons off to battle. Her stirring words would make many a warmongering misogynist's toes curl, even today. Our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. She called for a general congress of women without limit of nationality to settle international questions and promote the great and general interests of peace. Howe worked to establish a Mother's Peace Day. She organized events with that theme in the Boston area for years and continued her writing and activism until her death in 1910. But she was never able to achieve official recognition for her vision of Mother's Day. The third woman behind Mother's Day is Anna Jarvis, the official founder of the holiday in the U.S. The daughter of Anne Reeves Jarvis, she of the Mother's Day work clubs in West Virginia, and a big influence on Julia Ward Howe, was devastated when her mother died on the second Sunday of May in 1905. Anna Jarvis, who had no children of her own, devoted great effort to honoring her mother's memory. Beginning in 1907, she coordinated Mother's Day observances in West Virginia and Philadelphia. Her Mother's Day celebrations caught on, possibly because they were innocent of any whiff of women's rights, 
or anti-war protests. Instead, they featured white carnations worn at church services. In a possibly romanticized vision of motherhood, Anna Jarvis wrote, The carnation does not drop its petals, but hugs them to its heart as it dies, and so too mothers hug their children to their hearts, their mother love never dying. Anna made it clear that the apostrophe in mothers came after the R and not the S, reflecting the individual rather than the general possessive. In Anna Jarvis's vision, the whole idea was to pay homage to one's own dear mother, not everybody's mother. Punctuation matters. In 1910, West Virginia's governor declared Mother's Day an official state holiday. Encouraged, Anna Jarvis embarked on a tireless letter-writing campaign to drum up more support for the occasion. Unlike Julia Ward Howe, Jarvis saw the observance not as an anti-war statement, but as a private, dignified observance of all that one's mother does on behalf of her children. Jarvis was also pretty starchy about identifying herself as the founder of the holiday. And her efforts to get it recognized paid off in 1914, when President Woodrow Wilson made the second Sunday in May a permanent observance of Mother's Day. But be careful what you wish for. It didn't take long before Anna Jarvis became alarmed at what was happening to the holiday that she'd worked so hard to have recognized. Greeting card companies and candy manufacturers were quick to cash in. It was a development that seems obvious to us today, but Jarvis apparently hadn't seen it coming. She was particularly galled at how florists ramped up the price of white carnations leading up to that Sunday in May. She grew increasingly disgusted by the commercialization of what she thought of as a sacred observance. And it offended her mightily when interest groups used the holiday in support of political causes. Anna Jarvis took none of this sitting down. By 1922, she was supporting boycotts of florists, and in 1923, she threatened to sue the New York Mother's Day Committee, who finally caved and canceled its big plan celebration. In 1925, Jarvis was charged with disorderly conduct for her protest against the American war mothers because they used a white carnation as their Mother's Day symbol. Far from that arrest causing her to lose steam, Jarvis's discontent continued to build. In 1935, she took issue with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt's fundraiser that combined Mother's Day with an appeal to end high maternal and infant mortality rates. Following that, Jarvis went door-to-door in Philadelphia circulating a petition to have the holiday abolished. Needless to say, Jarvis's efforts to ban Mother's Day failed. She never let up on her conviction that Mother's Day had become so defiled by commercialism that it should be rescinded. She spent so much on her legal battles against the holiday that she was nearly destitute in her later years. During the 1940s, Jarvis, who was no longer able to support herself, lived with her sister Lily. It's a matter of speculation as to whether her stress and frustration over what had become of her holiday tilted her into mental illness or if cognitive decline played a role. In any case, at the age of 80, Anna Jarvis was committed to a mental asylum Four years later, in 1944, she died there, penniless and demented. But Mother's Day is still here, and it's big business. According to the National Retail Federation, Americans spent $31.7 billion on Mother's Day in 2022, up $3.6 billion from the year before. 
The top three gift categories were greeting cards, flowers, and special outings. I found no data to suggest that Americans spent any of their Mother's Day budget on ending warfare or promoting women's, and therefore human, rights. Although, I'm sure some of us do. But people undoubtedly spend a fair amount on white carnations, specially priced for the holiday, just like other popular flowers. I imagine Anna Jarvis's body lies a-spinnin' in the grave. And I doubt Julia Ward Howe is any happier about what's become of the holiday. Maybe it's time we take another look at what Mother's Day should be all about. But, meanwhile, if you're lucky enough to have a sweet mom and she's still alive, don't forget to call her. And it wouldn't kill you to send a card, would it? Thanks for listening to this episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts and check the show notes for easy ways to reach out to me because I love hearing from you especially your suggestions about topics to overthink on an upcoming episode. Meanwhile, if you're a mom, or if you've ever had a mom, and that includes all of us, I hope your coming Sunday is full of the people and things you love. And until next time, may all your thoughts be good ones. <laughs>